0: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
1: On this episode, a regression hypnotherapist discusses a client's lifelong contact experiences with ETs.
2: Why are some people having these experiences and not others? I think that there is a very strong genetic I think that certain linear lines of people's genetics are being followed or watched or enhanced.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Paranormal Contractors. If you have unwanted paranormal activity in your home or business, this is no time to be dealing with amateurs. You need to bring in the professionals. Paranormal Contractors is a division of crime and trauma scene cleaners. They utilize the latest scientific technology to investigate, authenticate, and remediate your ghost or demon problem. Call them at this new number, 631-552-5835. 631-552-5835. That's 631-552-5835. Email paranormalcontractors at gmail.com and tell them Richard sent you. Check out their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors, for things that go bump in the night.
0: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption.
1: Leslie Mitchell-Clark is standing by to discuss one of her clients who is a lifelong experiencer, alien contactee. Christian Decadure is also here from Reverse Speech Radio, and he has another shocking reversal to play for you a little bit later. Before we get rolling, I want to announce July's Patreon winner of the monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. And congratulations to Chad Vopel, of Mountain View, Wyoming. Chad wins a copy of my CD collection of Strange Planet Radio Features, Volume 2. If you want to become eligible for the monthly draw, just visit patreon.com forward slash strange planet and consider becoming an official donor. Also, Patreon supporters in the whistleblower and star chamber tiers. Just a reminder... The exclusive monthly online chat with me starts tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern. Now, you should have received an email from Ryan with details on how to join the Discord chat at 8 p.m. and the Google Hangout video chat at 8.30. Educator, entrepreneur, and college professor Wes Roberts appear to have an ideal life that belied the fact The deeply disturbing incidents of high strangeness had been a regular part of his adult life. Relentless insomnia, missing time, strange marks on his body, terrifying fragments of trips into alternate realities where close contact with non-human beings took place on a near daily occurrence. Wes sought out the help of a noted hypnotherapist, Leslie Mitchell Clark. What would follow would be the gradual recovery of Wes's remarkable memories, reflecting a lifetime of mind-bending, extra-ultra-terrestrial encounters. Leslie Mitchell-Clark is a Toronto-based, certified clinical hypnotherapist, master hypnotist, and NLP practitioner who specializes in working with individuals who feel they've had experiences with extraterrestrial, ultra-terrestrial beings. Most of this fascinating work, as well as metaphysical therapies such as past life and interlife regression, take place at Leslie's Toronto-based hypnosis clinic, Lightwork Hypnosis. She is the co-author, along with Wes Roberts, of Intersections, A True Story of extraterrestrial contact leslie mitchell clark welcome to conspiracy unlimited how are you
2: oh thank you so much richard it's such a pleasure to be chatting with you again and and i am fine i'm speaking to you this evening from our atlantic coast and it's uh, gorgeous as always.
1: Terrific. Tell me a little bit about your work as a regression therapist at Light Work Hypnosis. What what sort of clients do you see, and what what do they want from you? What do they need from you?
2: Well, that's a very interesting question, Richard. Um, as you know, um, as a as a um, master hypnotherapist, I treat people for a lot of things besides regression. Uh, I you know work with all kinds of psychological issues that you could imagine but when someone comes to me for a regression most often they are driven to do so because they want to resolve some sort of issue um, if they're coming because they feel they may have had you know abduction experiences uh, or you know contacts with you know ultra or extraterrestrial beings um, often I'm their sort of last chance Texaco. They may have seen psychiatrists. They may have seen other, um, you know, medical professionals. They may have doubts about their own sanity. So they're, they're often coming to me for some sort of um, perhaps resolution, if you will, and a confirmation that uh, the, the experiences or the parts of experiences that they do remember are accurate. Now, some people come uh, because they have uh, big chunks of missing time, and they really have no idea, you know, what has happened during these um, experiences that often begin, most often begin as in the childhood years. Uh, but more commonly, uh, someone comes to me for a regression if they have, Um, partial memories or some conscious memories of experiences of high strangeness or if you're speaking about perhaps past life regression or interlife regression, they may come to me because they have um, um, repetitive memories of other times, other places. They may feel drawn to a particular person and, and, you know, wonder if perhaps they've been with them in another lifetime or somebody may just simply be repeating the same kinds of patterns in their lives which are not suiting them or helping them. It could be that simple.
1: I've done um, countless shows on, you know, past lives and regression therapy, but there, you know, there may be some people out there who are new to this podcast and aren't familiar with regression therapy and the protocols and so forth so let's Mm -hmm. imagine that the person listening has never heard of it before they show up at your your uh, door and they want to know what it's all about explain it to them
2: okay well luckily what i'm about to tell you has been you know recently um um, validated by the real-time mapping of the brain um now it seems that uh when the body can become physically relaxed enough, and this is nothing new, the ancient Egyptians knew this, the ancient Greeks, uh, hypnotherapy is 5,000 plus years old. It's very ancient. But when the body becomes relaxed, and of course in contemporary hypnosis, we do that simply by talking to the person and relaxing their muscles and doing all kinds of things like that. Uh, In ancient days, uh, that relaxation was achieved uh, very quickly with a kind of an opiated drink. (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really. I'm fresh out, Richard, but I'll call you when my shipment comes in. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. But at any rate, um, when the body becomes physically relaxed enough that, uh, if you wish to call it a membrane or a curtain or um, that thing that separates our conscious mind from our subconscious mind, which is where our memories and behaviors are all formed, that little, uh, that little curtain just dissolves. So if the body is relaxed enough, uh, we can guide a person's consciousness Uh, Really, through time, if you will. Um, If you accept the idea of past lives, of multiple lifetimes, uh, we are able to guide that person through the past birth experience back to a timeless time, and uh, the person will be able to explore uh, those past lives that have the most application to now. I very rarely, you know, direct what past life, uh, if that's what we're doing, uh, a person will travel to. Because I've found, and of course my colleagues have all found this too, that a person always hears what they need to hear. And so if we're taking a past life journey and all of those lives are contained either in our body or in our exterior consciousness, we can travel or hear about the lifetime that really informed our current life. Because the most important lifetime is right now. This is the time to do new things, to learn new things, to change new patterns. So that's kind of what we do with past life regression. A person comes to me not knowing if they they believe in past lives. And to tell you the truth, Richard, I'm not really concerned with that. Um, Because if you wish, you could look at the entire exercise as a uh, creative metaphor or mm. some type of exploration to the collective unconscious it's not important to me or it's not even important for the experience that you accept the idea of past lives
1: now which brings us to your your brand new book intersections a true story of extraterrestrial contact and uh, we'll talk about the book launch and when it's uh, available and so forth in a moment but your co-author Wes yes. Roberts uh was was he the first case that you had uh that you had encountered that dealt with you know gaps in time and 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 alien contact or were there others before
2: Well he wasn't exactly ground zero he wasn't the first but he was certainly very early in my in my career because we're talking now uh the first time that I met Wes was probably maybe a dozen years ago so so he was one of the first people who came to me for regression for something other than past lives where he felt that he had um big chunks of missing time he had partial memories some of the memories were terrifying um, so he was certainly one of the first people that I that I treated and worked with, who came to me because they believed that they had had um, extraterrestrial or ultra terrestrial contact.
1: Okay, so so Wes is a he's a college professor. He's a, an entrepreneur. Take us back yes. to that day that he knocked on your door, your first meeting, and mm-hmm. what happened?
2: Well. I would say that, first of all, Wes was an extremely cautious person. Excuse me, in the sense that we had uh, we had a number of phone conversations and emails before I ever got him to my treatment space. And when I finally did, you know, I spent a good deal of time just explaining that um, that all he needed to do was to relax. And that he didn't have to have any fear about what he would see. And I, and I think for the listeners out there, this is an important thing that I should probably stress. In the hypnotherapy, in order to recover memories, and whether you're talking about something you had in this lifetime, as a three-year-old child or in a past life, you do not need to re-experience trauma to process the memory. So many people who come to me are worried about reliving possible traumatic experiences. But I can assure all your listeners um, that, that, are, that are tuning in uh, that um, we don't do it that way. As soon as a person begins to experience uh, any fear or agitation, we simply change the perspective and we turn that person into an observer, So that they can process and um, uh, let's see what I, they can recall and process the experience without the fear factor. Now, what I spent a lot of time with Wes, who um, had a lot of concerns for his own sanity, frankly, he really did. And um, he was an excellent hypnotic subject, as experiencers often are. And I believe that's because they spend a lot of time. Uh, in their dream life and in their spiritual life, uh, being active. So he was a wonderful hypnotic subject. He went right under. And what I generally do when people have multiple partial memories is I try to take the patient or the client back to ground zero, back to their first memory. So that's what I did in the case of Wes. I took him back to a very early childhood memory of high strangeness
1: but when he first contacted at, you and i'm guessing he's pardon me? when he first contacted you and i'm guessing he's, at this point he's in a panic he's desperate yeah. he needs answers what did he yes. tell you that was going on in his life
2: well um, a lot of what he was talking to me about were profound sleep disturbances because much of the activity that he reported either being, you know, taken, uh, in other words, transported physically out of his environment or uh, any number of things like that. He was he was very, very um, sleep-deprived, unable to really get a night's sleep because the activity was constant. So that was one of the big, big issues. Uh, you know, of course, if you can't sleep, if you're not sleeping, you know, you're your uh, attachment to sanity is very tenuous you know, sure that's the why they side. that's why they use it as a so torture method a, it's to, it
1: indeed, can be torture it, yeah.
2: indeed it's a torture method so there was that aspect the sleeplessness and he was very deeply concerned about his own sanity
1: was he a skeptic about what was happening to him i mean was he in denial I,
2: yes i would say he had a very Healthy skepticism, in other words, he didn't come to me and say, "I'm having experiences with extraterrestrials uh, you know it wasn't like he he didn't you know put it out there in that way. He just said, I have suspicious incidents. they've happened all of my life. I've had marks on my body." I have had, um, I've woken up in unusual places. I've had, I've woken up as a kid with my pajamas on the wrong way. I mean, he told me a, a big, long litany of bizarre things that had happened, but he never said to me in the very beginning, I'm convinced that I'm an abductee. That was something that really came out as soon as the work began.
1: So when he contacted you, How long had this been going on? You said it started in childhood. How old was he when he contacted you? How long had it been going on? Oh, my
2: goodness. Let's see. I know he's a little bit older than I am. He was definitely in midlife. I'm going to guess that he was uh, in his late 40s, 50-ish, and had had a lifetime and also a lifetime of emotional issues from uh, from these experiences that he had, uh, from the lack of sleep, from this, that, and the other, uh, he was—he was a kind of a—and this is this is a medical term. He was a nervous wreck.
1: <laughs> mm, right, right. Uh, I mean, yeah. You, if you don't, I mean, not getting enough sleep can kill you, literally.
2: Yes. Uh, yes.
1: And so he had endured um, half a lifetime of this. Yes. yes. Uh, and it started with childhood. Just give us yes. kind of some snapshots of what he said he experienced as a childhood, uh, in childhood.
2: Okay. Okay. Um, Well, one of the interesting things that I think we should probably throw out there, and, and many of your listeners will want to know, why are some people having these experiences and not others? And what I can express to you today, Richard, is I think that there is a very strong genetic connection I think that certain linear lines of, uh, of people's um, uh, genetics are being followed or watched or enhanced. Now, as we got into the work together, uh, Wes and I, you know, he was told, he, he has experiences with many different beings, but there is a particular being who seems to be female who he calls his twin, which has acted as sort of a guide, if you will, and this being this this I believe female being, has been with him in these experiences since his earliest childhood, so there is a consistency of characters, particularly this one being now, the experience I'm about to tell you about is not the earliest one, but it's one of the one of the earliest cognizant ones so Usually, Wes had had experiences in his bedroom where this female being came to see him and took him, and they traveled through a wall or up through the up through the roof, and sometimes on a craft, where where he received not a painful but a, a examination of some sort, or he may have, he received implants at different times. Uh, sometimes he was on board a craft and was was asked to play with other children, you know, doing like cognitive exercises. And some of these other children weren't quite human, if you know what I mean. They appeared to be hybrid in some way. So um, so many of his early experiences were very visceral like this and involved a, cra- a definite craft and a person who came for him. Some of the experiences were far more esoteric. And uh, so there was one experience that happened to him, where he was probably, he was like a tween. Let's say he was 11 years old. Just just the age where kids are starting to get, you know, feisty and not do what they're told and, you know, that kind of thing. Richard, I don't know if you're, you have a, is it a daughter you have?
1: I have twin boys. They're 12. Oh,
2: they're, well, they're right, there you are. I'm in the eye of the storm. <laughs>
1: there
2: you are in the yes. thick of it. Oh my goodness. Anyway, so in this particular occasion, I believe that beings came for him that he didn't necessarily see, but he felt them. And he was, um, he was levitated, you know, out of his room again, uh, you know, through the walls, what have you. And when he became aware, it was almost as if he was on a set, and it was the set of like a doctor's office, like a like a pediatric office, but a little bit surreal. there are a lot of big toys around, and it, of course it didn't look quite right because when when our when our e t friends you know do some sort of staging uh sometimes there are big errors they don't they don't have it completely correct anyway, It was an odd pediatrician's room, and as he looked around in the room, some of the children appeared to be completely unconscious in other words their heads were bowed their eyes were closed some of the children were awake like he was some of them were somewhere in between but it was as if all these children had been picked up and put in this set of this pediatrician's office and then um out of the you know examination room comes a doctor and this was a being in a lab coat but the doctor had on a clown mask. Oh dear! Which was, in fact, terrifying to to my client, to Wes. And fear of clowns, onophobia, is one of the most common fears. By the way, <laughs> so,
1: right? And 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 I've so I've since lo- learned that there is there there seems to be a connection with a fear of clowns and the alien abduction phenomenon. And you've perhaps yes. just nailed it, explained as to why.
2: Yes, they do, and sometimes in a very misunderstood way they do try to make children comfortable or not afraid but they don't know everything and so the use of clown masks when you're having childhood experiences seems to be quite prevalent so in this particular experience when the so-called doctor as West calls them under hypnosis the brown doctors I I think that the beings that deal with uh, with us medically are not always um you know humanoid in the sense of being a nordic or something like that i i think and they don't and they don't want to be seen because they don't want to frighten anyone especially children so they get into costuming that is sometimes terrifying anyway all the kids started to freak out include that were awake including wes and he said without within like three seconds bam 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 he landed on his bed like funk, <laughs> like the, the, whole, the whole thing was over. They couldn't progress because, uh, because there had been an outbreak of, of, of fear there. Wow. So um, that was one of his, uh, one of his many, many uh, childhood experiences where he has been put in situations. There was another similar one when he was 12 or 13 where they set up a kind of a birthday party And again, he was taken, he found himself in this environment and um, he knew that he was being observed, but he didn't see an ET being specifically, but he started to protest at being 12 and being nasty. He started to protest and kick and scream. And again, within about five beats, the entire scenario was dissolved and he was back in his bed.
1: These memories did they come through regression or did he have them prior?
2: What I've just told you completely was revealed by regression. Mm. Most of the childhood stuff was very unclear or very suppressed. And, you know, I've come to think now after all these years of doing this, that, um, well, first of all, no memories remain inaccessible forever. That's, That's my basic premise that eventually... You know, all memories become accessible. But I do think that for perhaps the sake of the individual's terrestrial life, uh, in trying to eliminate confusion or distress, I think that memory blocks are purposely uh, utilized. And I think that those memory blocks may be time-dated or they're just meant to dissolve at a certain point. Because I, frankly, most of my clients uh, who are persons who have had experiences or contact, most of them come to me at some point in mid-age, in middle age. It's almost as if they're ready to process who they are and why they're here on Earth and what's special about them and when they're ready to understand and integrate these concepts, that's when they feel a great drive to explore either missing time or partial memories.
1: Uh, this is a delicate question. But is it, in, is it possible in some cases that the, the recovered memories of what might be contact or an abduction... Might in fact be some sort of a a defense, a defensive memory to cover up something, some other trauma like abuse.
2: Oh, so you would be speaking, in fact, um, possibly about maybe on the dark side, some type of sexual child abuse. Yes, yes. Which has in fact been dis. I have encountered that, hmm. but we get to it. Um, even if that is the case when someone comes in, they won't be able to sustain the, uh, what should we call it, the cosmetic over-memory that mm. they've created. But yes, that happens, and also Richard, in, in all honesty, there are people who come to me who are mentally unwell, who have a dissociative disorder, right. who are hallucinating, or who have a tenuous touch with reality. And it's my job as a mental health care professional to determine that through uh, very specific and elaborate uh, questioning before we ever get to hypnosis, because um, we, we are certainly um, not going to, part- people in my profession are not going to participate with any hypnosis process with someone who is manifesting a dissociative disorder.
1: Is it possible, though, that the abduction experience is so traumatic? I'm wondering if that can can cause a dissociative disorder.
2: Well, perhaps untreated, it can cause the symptoms of same. But no uh, ET experience is going to convert someone into a schizophrenic. (laughs) <laughs> you know, but but the symptomology can be very similar. You're absolutely right about that. And one thing I would also say along those lines, and this again is a very important point if anyone is considering this type of therapy, by far and away, and I would say upwards of 90%, the experiences that people have are actually benign or spiritually uplifting or fascinating but they are not terrifying or traumatic once we get in there. Yeah. What is terrifying and traumatic is the unknown and what people imagine might have happened. And then sometimes, like with any memory, the parts that are conscious memories are not necessarily accurate. So what is disturbing people, what is fearful for them, is being, being out of control, having things happen to them that are against their control or their wishes. That's the real fear, because by and large, the experiences themselves are of a wide variety of positivity.
1: Uh, So why Wes? You hinted that it's intergenerational.
2: Mm -hmm. I think think that in Wes's family tree, I know that at least uh, two of his siblings had experiences. He has a niece. Who has had experiences, and unfortunately, because he he didn't grow up with his father, he has limited information about that part of the family line. But it seems that on the mother's side, which is in part Native Canadian, there have been experiencers going way back.
1: Is there something particular about Wes's family tree, his genealogy, his his DNA? Uh-
2: well, this is a this is a game. This is a very um, this is very hot topic right now. Now, what I will tell you is some experiencers feel that they have at some point either been infused with extraterrestrial DNA for their own benefit, and often th- they feel that this has happened right after the point of uh, fertilization, or it may be that we are dealing at least. One group of the ETs that we deal with are a progenitor race. Um, even um, even Travis Walton, t- in his dramatic experience, talked about seeing humanoid beings. It could be that it's a little bit like uh, like like tracking the relatives and tracking come in with DNA. Now I do know that in West's, West by his. Nature is a very sensitive and psychic person, and before he ever explored any possible ET encounters, uh, he participated in many kinds of psychic activities, uh, ghost investigations. He has always seen orbs uh, and other phenomena. Uh, he was also he's also a skilled and trained remote viewer. So he like at the he trained at the Monroe Institute. So he did all of that before he ever saw me. So it's clear that he as a person and these other people in his family that have that experiences, uh, have a very, very high PSI quotient.
1: Is that as a result of the contact? Uh, is it a result of, um, the, you know, the possibility that they are the a progeny of ETs, or is that because is that why ETs are interested in them?
2: Well, I think Richard that there are different groups involved. You know, even our own wonderful Paul Heller, uh, with all the government information he had, estimated that there was something like sixty-three different types of ETs that were benevolently communicating with the Canadian and U.S. government. So, um, my personal feeling is the people that I see who are experiencers are very special people and they are without exception psychically gifted. And that simply points to me, a genetic, points to me, a genetic component. Um, now we know that, um, there are people with very rare blood groupings you know o negative a negative and we know that the o blood type came into being millions of years before the other blood types and a high percentage of my clients have have uh, rh negative blood as do i by the way mm. but but there are physical things that that seem to uh, to come with the package So um, I I am of the opinion that most of what's going on are evolved beings that either at one time lived on our planet or have been involved with our planet or seeded our planet, and they are following our progress. And many, many people have incarnated onto the Earth at this particular time for a particular reason, and I believe that reason is for the betterment of mankind so I have sort of an opposite uh, you know opposite opinion of, of some of the uh, uh, some of the colleagues that, that I work with I see I see positivity I see increased awareness um, I see the and the people that come to me are invariably involved they're teachers they're you know what I mean Richard they are involved in, in socialization and so they're doing work here. Um, And that is most often what these individuals come to realize and understand, that they have a special purpose.
1: Back to more of my conversation with Leslie Mitchell-Clark when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. It's Friday. Let's get Christian Dicadier back in here, the co-host of an exciting new podcast, Reverse Speech Radio. Christian, we've been playing some really uh, dark and sinister clips from the late British television presenter, DJ Jimmy Savile. We're going to play one more this week. Again, we're going to hear the the forward speech, and then we'll hear the reversal. Here's Jimmy Savile. If I arrive at the gates of heaven and St. Peter says, you've been a very tricky man, you can't come in here. I'll break his thumbs. Because I'm qualified to do that. Because I've heard of being a wrestler. I'll serenade with the letter. I'll serenade with the leather. I'll serenade with a leather. He's talking about if he gets up to heaven and uh, St. Peter at the pearly gates says, basically, you can't come in. You're a very tricky character. He says, I'll break his thumbs. He says, I'm qualified to do that. And then, again, the reversals here are very, very clear. He's saying, in reverse, I'll serenade him with a liver. Now, that sounds very sinister, but I don't know what that means.
3: It's not just sinister, Richard. It's cryptic, and it's sinister and cryptic. And what it means is that it validates suspicions and allegations that Jimmy Savile, was also a necrophiliac, meaning he was having sex with dead bodies because he had keys to the hospital, the, the Moorhead Hospital in England, a psychiatric hospital, and he had keys to the infirmary, he had keys to the mortuary, and uh, there was lots of allegations that and suspicions, but it could never be proved proven that he was, in fact, having sex with corpses. Oh, my Lord. This... That this is a prize winner right here, this reversal, because it validates the fact that he would use someone's liver to serenade St. Peter. And let's not forget the drug of the elite, adrenochrome. He was uh, a procurer of children to the elite. And it just so happens that Jimmy Savile's best friend was Prince Charles.
1: Oh, dear Lord. So what is this adrenochrome exactly?
3: Adrenochrome is the fluids that come from the adrenal gland from children or young adolescents. If you uh, are traumatized, if a child is traumatized uh, up to a certain age, if you secrete the fluids from the adrenal gland, uh, it is one of the greatest highs. It is referred to as the drug of the elite. In fact, Hunter S. Thompson spoke of it in his book, and it was even featured in the movie Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas with Benicio Del Toro and Johnny Depp, where Johnny Depp is trying, I believe it's Johnny Depp, he's trying adrenochrome, and uh, he's getting completely high off of it. And it's absolutely disgusting. Adrenochrome is one of the most sought-after drugs uh, that uh, people can, uh, can, can purchase on the black
1: market. Oh, my Lord. It just gets darker and darker. All right. Well, this is an example of a reversal that you would hear on Reverse Speech Radio. We'll speak next week, Christian.
3: Thanks, Richard. Take care.
1: Reverse Speech Radio, a podcast committed to delivering the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. New episodes drop every Thursday. For more information, go to Reverse Speech. Ca. Listen and subscribe at reversespeechradio.libsen.com.
0: As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? No, me either. But I guess he better say it because of Richard, you know. He's all wrapped up in this stuff. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
1: We are back with Leslie Mitchell-Clark discussing a remarkable case of extraterrestrial contact. Well, you mentioned you've arrived at a different position than some of your colleagues, and so I would suggest maybe you, someone like a Dr. David Jacobs who has been quite yeah. outspoken about the idea... Yeah that what is being planned is some sort of, you know, it's a human-alien hybridization yeah. program for yeah. possible invasion. How did he arrive at such a vastly different opinion?
2: Well, I think it begins with fear-based thinking. And um, it's possible that he ha- could have worked with a number of individuals who had um, negative experiences with with uh, certain varieties of the grays. Now, in order to fully understand Dr. Jacobs' position and why he thinks this way, we have to go back in time a little bit, uh, just past, we have to go back to ground zero, we have to go back to Roswell, and what happened at that point in our in our history. Now, uh, it's generally assumed, and of course, if you read any of the, you know, any of the firsthand material, such as the day after Roswell Corso's book, not only, you know, were, was craft and, you know, destroyed craft recovered, but also bodies of ETs and also living ETs. Now, the Grays that crashed, crashed at, Os, uh, at Roswell, um, as, as the story goes, made a kind of a deal with um, oh, Harry Truman, or Harry Truman was president at this time. And the deal was, The cold war is coming. We are going to give you uh, advanced technical knowledge that you can handle that will make you superior. And in exchange, we are going to take just a few of your people and do a few experiences and take some sperm and take some ova. And because we're at a point in our evolution where we can no longer reproduce naturally. So I, that now that agreement, uh, that agreement made by by Harry S. Truman uh, and then later reinforced by Dwight Eisenhower was really the very beginning of what we would call now the secret space program, because all of this technology that was received from the ETs was filtered out through the foreign technology departments of the U.S. government into uh, unlimited black object programs, unlimited budgeted programs. So you know again it it's possible that Dr. Jacobs has been working primarily with very traumatized people who uh, had some disturbing experiences you know i you know I just happen to completely disagree <laughs> with, with his uh, with all due respect for his research and his work i I disagree with his hypothesis i don't see any e t false flag war, uh any control program going on. what I am hearing about are beings that are incredibly concerned about the ecological uh, and um, status of our planet, the violence quotient of our planet and uh, you you know Richard even on on the 4th of July when that warmongering uh, Trump was attempting to have some kind of activity what was it about eight craft that were spotted? I've seen the footage. It looks very real. Well,
1: I'm always so curious about there's... that because uh, I've always wondered, you know, we, we hear about ETs, UFO craft, interfering with nuclear sites and so forth in the, yeah. Min, the Minot Air Force Base. And uh, where were they in 1945 during Hiroshima and Nagasaki?
2: Well, I think, um, I think Richard, that there may be a situation, you know, that's not unlike uh, Gene Roddenberry's Federation of Planets, where there is a sort of a hands-off attitude until we cause uh, a real risk to what's going on in our, in our immediate neighborhood of planets. So I think that they have allowed us sometimes, uh, you know, wrongly, I think that they have allowed us to make mistakes, to hopefully learn. Now, wouldn't you think that one experience with the weapons of destruction in Nagasaki would make us all say, we will never use these weapons again, but it didn't, did it?
1: Uh, well, not really. When, did, when was the last time we used them?
2: Well, it's always a threat. You see, we've got we've got we still have people threatening each other with nukes. Yes, we you know, did. and even and even in uh, again speaking about you know Eisenhower, you know, over in the Suez Canal situation uh, after World War II, uh, you know, the Russians were, were, Khrushchev threatened to nuke us. Yes, and Eisenhower said, "Well, we're going to nuke you." So it's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's become. It wasn't enough.
1: No, it's true. I mean, I've I've always argued though that in in many respects they've they've also helped keep keep the pace at uh, the peace because of mutually agreed destruction. However, I don't want we don't well, want to get maybe, into.
2: A, yes you're right richard there there may well be that that should have been what happened the entire world all the world leaders should have seen the horror and the destruction and said this will never happen again
1: right right that
2: should have happened but one of the things that we may have inherited from at least one aspect of our progenitors is we are a very warlike people right and we operate unfortunately on the lowest levels we operate on greed and aggression.
1: What else did you learn from Wes or what else did Wes learn during his mm. regressions from you with you?
2: Heather? Oh my goodness. Well, one of the first things that we did, and this was this was something I just tried and I didn't actually know if it would work, right? Because there's no for a lot of this for a lot of this work that I do, you know, there's no textbook. I just have to operate within ethical, uh, uh, medical, psychological, uh, you know, um, what should I say? Uh, b- paradigms of treatment. I have to do what's right, but there's a lot of latitude within that. So one of the things that we worked on first was getting sleep for Wes. I mentioned the poor man was so active in his, you know, other life, if you want to call it that, that he never slept. So I said, well, let's, let's do this West. Let's, why don't I? And I asked him to communicate with the being that he most often sees, this female being whom he calls his twin. And I said, um, explain to her so she understands that you have to work and you have to sleep at night. And you will be available to do whatever activities they have in mind on the weekend. But during the weekday, you must sleep. And sure enough, <laughs> that's what happened. Hmm. They, the beings apparently listened to what he had to say and stopped involving him in activities during the week. And by that, I mean, um, at this point in his, in his experiences, most of his activities are what I would call more like astral projection or in his etheric body. And, uh, but whatever he was up to during the week, it ceased immediately, but yet continued on the weekend, just as he had requested. So now uh, with, with uh, the individuals who come to me who are invariably experiencing the same type of issue, this is one of the first things I do is get, is get an agreement in place and get, the sleep, uh, get proper sleep stages back.
1: Can you ask them to stop altogether and would they, would they comply?
2: I believe that they would, and I believe that they do for periods of time. Um, for instance, when children are are very afraid, they sometimes say, "Stop it, don't come anymore, don't do this anymore, And it does stop. So it's possible to find someone who has had experiences just in their childhood and out of their out of their fear and their terror and their refusal uh, to participate, it just stopped. And that does happen. You can do that but most of the people who come to me are more about getting in touch with their purpose and their and their their ability to help mankind and integrating these things into who they are
1: and so what did west discover was his purpose
2: west has kind of like a, a parallel life would be one of the best ways to explain it, um, when when he on the weekends, you know he he travels, you know uh, spiritually or like astral projection, and he engages with the ETS. He goes to other locations. He teaches over there. He works with hybrid children over there. So uh, so I think that he is his purpose is still teaching. He is a teacher. He's a teacher and a writer. So he's still teaching and he's, um, you know, he's teaching over there and doing all kinds of amazing stuff. But he's also here, I think, to be part of the work that persons like myself are doing to allow other experiencers to come forward and to come forward without fear and without fear that they will be ridiculed or demeaned. And also to know that there are, there are trained professionals like myself, uh, like my, my mentor, Dr. Georgina Cannon, like the late dear Dr. John Mack, there are, uh, Kathy Martin, there are professionals waiting waiting to sort of be we're sort of waiting to be the midwives of the new era that's that's how i see it
1: intersections a true story of extraterrestrial contact you've got a book launch coming up in uh, august tell uh, yes. tell tell me about that and then where we can get the book
2: wonderful well we are launching the book on August 15th in Toronto at a very cool place called the Super Wonder Gallery and they've got a lot of uh, they've got a little space capsule you can sit in and a lot of beautiful artwork it's a fabulous place it's right in Little Italy on College Street and uh, that will be taking place at uh, 730 on August 15th and if anyone is in the Toronto area and would like to attend please just drop me an email. That's Leslie, LESLEY, at lightworkhypnosis.com. And I'll make sure that you go on the list. All you have to do is say Richard Sirrett, and you're in. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs>
1: all right. That's, that's the all code you word. have to do.
2: And uh, let's see. Oh, and the book is available actually right now. On Amazon so you can buy it right this minute on Amazon and there will be physical books at the launch and shortly after the launch we will also have it available in all of the other uh, platforms Kobo Kindle uh, iBooks etc but it's available at good old Amazon right this moment
1: intersections a true story of extraterrestrial contact you'll also be appearing at uh, the Alien Cosmic Expo, correct?
2: Yes, yes, I am. Uh, I, I'm doing really. host. Wes and I are doing host duties, where we're going to be uh, interviewing and and um, and introducing some of the incredibly fascinating people who are going to be at ACE. One of one of the most exciting people that I think will be at ACE is uh, a dear friend of mine, uh, Captain Randy Kramer who uh, not only is an experiencer, but he was a participant in the uh, off-world Mars defense program, lunar defense program, and he's about to come out with his first book, but he is uh, a fascinating and extremely credible person, and I believe since the last time I spoke to him, uh, he's had... um, Oh, what is the word for it, Richard? Help me. Um, the electronic uh, processing to see if someone has told the truth or not. He's had a.
1: Oh. Well, he's had a. Like a um, lie detector? Oh,
2: yes, he's had a lie detector test. Mm. And uh, they did that at Gaia, uh, where he appeared on six episodes of uh, one of their programs. So, uh, Captain Randy Kramer will be there telling us all about his phenomenal experiences. And uh, he, too, was a lifelong experiencer, as was one of his brothers. so it's uh, it's going to be a fascinating, uh, fascinating couple of days, Richard. But you will be away sunning yourself on the Greek islands.
1: <laughs> uh, I will be away in August. I will be around September. but uh, alien cosmic expo september twenty one twenty two Yes. and uh, people can go to aliencosmicexpo.com. dot uh, and they can order tickets, and uh, the full lineup is there as well. And it's yes. you know it's jam packed of the uh, the luminaries of uh, uh, ufology, including uh, Richard Dolan and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Paul Hellier and Grant Cameron and, and yep. yourself and and um, uh, many many others. Travis Walton, yes. of course. All yes. right.
2: Yes, it's going it's going to be a real mind expanding experience with some of uh, ufology's most cutting-edge and, if I may say, most brilliant people.
1: Terrific. Well, Leslie, a great pleasure speaking with you again. And um, thank you so much. We'll talk again soon, I hope.
2: Thank you so much, Richard. You take care, and I look forward to chatting with you soon.
1: Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back to fill you in on Monday's edition of Conspiracy Unlimited. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. A donation of $50 a month places you in the Star Chamber. $20 a month is the whistleblower tier, and a donation of just $10 per month makes you a truth seeker. Star Chamber and whistleblower members can participate in an exclusive monthly online chat or video conference with me, and all donors are entered into a monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet, patreon.com forward slash strange Coming up next time, could the pilots of disc-shaped crafts interacting with human civilization be time travelers? We're starting to understand that there
3: aren't really any laws of physics that prohibit backward time travel. It gets complicated, it gets confusing, but a lot of research that I highlight in the book shows that there aren't necessarily even paradoxes in the way that we think of them. And, and I, I highlight the work of a really well-respected physicist named Igor Novikov, who developed what's now known as the Novikov self-consistency principle that shows that in visiting the past, you're not really disrupting anything, you're just becoming a part of what was already there.
1: Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now.
0: A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now.